Welcome to episode eight of Hannah's and Ruth's. <laughs> I am your co-host, Brittany Richards, here with my co-host, <laughs> Casey Burkholder. It's episode eight? That's correct. My God. Okay. I mean, time like, what is time? Time flies when you're having fun. And also, is it still March 2020? Because it feels like it. And yet, we are well into the spring of 2021 at the time of this recording. But I don't have the same kind of panic. And just like, I felt for March 2020 clenched, like completely clenched. Yeah. Paralyzed by fear. Paralyzed by fear, mm -hmm. drinking way too much every night. And by that, I mean alcohol, like just getting like drunk. Mm -hmm. I was watching Six Feet Under because I just felt like paralyzed with my own. Like That's a nice uplifting show to distract you from uh, what was happening in the world at the time and what continues to happen. When I feel that I need to cry, but I can't get it out. I always watch the season finale or like the series finale of that show. Like, you know how you bottle, or maybe you don't, but I do. Like I bottle up shit and then I just need to like get, I need to exhale to get it out. That's like the one yes. show I can count on to fully cry like a lot. That's funny. I have a soundtrack that does that for me. <laughs> What is the soundtrack? It's uh, The Last Five Years, Jason Robert Brown. It's a musical and it's about a couple that breaks up after a five-year marriage. And oh. for whatever reason, it just, <laughs> it hits me and I get out my cry and I feel a lot better, but I have to listen to the whole thing, like end to end. I need to be alone. The setting has to be just right. My favorite soundtrack without question is Sister Act 2. Lauren Hill. Am oh. I right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember when I worked at HMV, I had this manager named Glenn. And like when we were closing, the person who had the worst job would get to choose the closing music. And Glenn always chose that fucking soundtrack. And I remember like at first I, I felt nostalgic listening, like this is kind of funny. And then I would be annoyed. And then something shifted and I just like, like I craved that soundtrack. I think that soundtrack is amazing. I'll have to give that one another lesson. You won't but, be disappointed. Okay, but can I ask you, have, have there been any other jobs that you've had where you've had to close up shop and any other specific soundtracks? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I think you do know what I mean. I do know what you mean. You mean. The first job we worked together, which was neither of our first jobs, maybe like my fourth job, my all those job. like creepy temp jobs for my mom, <laughs> like working crazy. a watch show by the airport, <laughs> like filing papers at some weird fucking office, or working um, a survey work at, at Staples. Staples. <laughs> and then I thought the employees were so cool and nice. I was like, mom, just let me work at Staples. She was like, no, you can't work at Staples because she didn't want to drive me to Chinook Mall in right. Calgary. But also like, I think she was taking kind of a good stand. <laughs> like I, I don't know that Staples was on brand, but what was on brand was the coffee shop that we worked at. Mm -hmm. Grounds for pleasure. 
grounds for pleasure. Whenever I tell someone that name, they think it's like either a joke or not a coffee shop. No, it sounds <laughs> like it's like an adult video store. Yes, but it was a coffee shop. Yeah. And we would close. In a mini mall. That's right. In like a strip mall that also had a, a blockbuster, a freestanding yep. blockbuster. And that, and an Arby's. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that like Chinese an restaurant that Erica's family loved going Bill's to. Bill's Peking House. There you go. That's right. I never went there. I just know that that was like a shirky tradition to go to yeah. that. No, that was a good, that was a good Chinese restaurant. And there was a gas station yeah. and like a yoga studio. Really? Yo I think it was called yoga.com, but like <laughs> C-A-L-M. <laughs> and there but was as a pet store. Like a small one. Bespoke. Yeah, they had like birds and stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And a karaoke bar as right. well. So really a one-stop shop. Everything you need. But we were, for some reason, given the responsibility of closing this coffee shop as 16-year-olds. <laughs> but we both were so type A that we would... <laughs> and also used to bossing other people around so it became a problem for our relationship to close at the same time because we would absolutely we would fight like siblings we would fight like siblings over like <laughs> who was doing what who was mopping or was that good enough <laughs> that's right and so we we found that the one thing we could do during the closing <laughs> tasks was sing songs together and try to get like harms in the interesting yeah we would try to like harmonize that's right and that allowed us to finish our tasks it's true and i i have this one so i miss you like crazy by the moffats i think was one of our signature duets um but i have this very vivid memory of you know i think i think the coffee shop closed at 10 and then we would work from 10 to 10 30 to like after the doors were locked we would like mop and do all that. maybe it was nine I don't know but I just have this one memory of us trying to get out of there as quickly as possible maybe we had something else to do and there was these two women who just like couldn't get the clue and they just kind of wouldn't leave and you kept dropping hints about what time we closed <laughs> they were sitting very near to the mop closet <laughs> you, you knew all it would take to get rid of them was to get the mop out so, because it reeked it didn't matter I still how, smell that I how fresh the smell. mop water was the bucket just stunk and so you pulled the bucket out and the two women were like kind of glaring at you like they were Karen's they were Karen's and they were like it something stinks it, it, it really stinks and you said it's the mop. It smells just like raw sewage. <laughs> and they left within minutes. That, that was it. The mop got rid of them. I can clear a room when I need to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You didn't feel badly about it at all. No, I completely forget that now. So I really didn't weigh on me at all. That was actually a pretty cool job for a couple of 16 year olds. Yeah. But do you remember how the adults that worked there like really hated us? I mean, I remember that the couple that owned the place 
they were divorcing and the mom was basically telling me about the affair she had with her high school sweetheart at her high school reunion and how she introduced her children to his children telling them they were cousins so at 16 me being privy to someone's like private life like that in the workplace not ideal and i also remember there was that guy jeff yeah Mm -hmm. roger that's right and he hated us because we were in high school. I think that's the main reason. It was an, I think it was an age-based discrimination. I feel like he just hated himself. He definitely hated himself. But then do you remember when you got that third degree burn and you didn't cry? And then he was like, I have respect for you now because you didn't cry when you were clearly in shock having <laughs> received a third degree burn. <laughs> That's true. Well, it was funny because just that morning before I got the burn, we'd been talking about, you know, crying from pain and if it still happened in adulthood. And then sure enough, it got really busy and I made a mistake and I opened the commercial grade coffee maker while it was brewing coffee. And I got third degree burns on my right pointer finger. And I was like, Jeff, I think I'm going to cry. And he was like, don't cry, don't cry. And then indeed, he did tell me that he respected me for not crying. I didn't cry, but you're right. I was I was in shock. Anyway, they don't give out Flamazine for burns anymore. They just uh, give out polysporin. I just learned this a couple of days ago. What's Flamazine? It was a cream with silver in it. Silver, like ore. Okay. okay. <laughs> Yeah, but I guess I guess it's not good to put like metals into the skin, <laughs> so they don't give that out anymore. But I don't have a scar. <laughs> well, there you go. So maybe metals weren't so terrible. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my god! But I think that's a great segue into the book because it's older people telling us about the world, about how we should act in the world, and what we should do and not do. And maybe those narrators, like Jeff, were not totally reliable or not like great role models to take right. that kind of advice. Mm-hmm. I like as an adult now, I would say if you're in pain, like you can express yourself however you need to, to uh, yeah. deal with that pain. And I feel like maybe the shoving it down is not not great advice for an elder person to be telling a younger person no no and if someone crying around you makes you uncomfortable that's that's your shit it's not theirs no kidding yeah again which leads me to the book i have always hated blue ink and i was Uh, reading this part of the book and it was like when ted told the author is like black ink is great but blue is disgusting and I was like did I think that for myself or is this just something else I've stolen from this book and created in my own personality fascinating and I also was particularly disappointed not surprised by the discussion of the bodies of young women especially the bodies of these young women like one had a quote-unquote pear shape which was Mm -hmm. gross and like she was gross because she wasn't into Ted, but the other girl was like pleasantly. Plump. Oh yeah, I have a couple of quotes here. So I I remember the pear shaped friend. I remember that because 
that was a term that I ended up using in a friendship where I felt like I was the third wheel with this girl and her boyfriend. I was like, I feel like I'm the pear shaped friend. So I like, I use that vernacular in my life. But um, here's, here's a quote with any interesting looking young woman who was sexually vulnerable. Wasn't there always an oafish, unappealing companion to contend with? But that's how I always felt in our friendship. Like when we would go to parties or whatever, I was always like, oh no, I'm the one who's like not cute. And I Uh, had this idea about myself as being like gross, which is not just John Irving's fault, let's say. Like there was a lot of negative messaging about like what I looked like from my family for sure. And then like school. Well, and I think, I think we all probably felt that way at some point that we were just like the third wheel or like the next. Like gross, not cute. Yes, exactly. Um, But I'm trying to identify now, looking back, there was a moment, like I had like crippling low self-esteem, but then something happened and like, I think because I assumed no one would like me, it made me much more bold, I think. Like, do you remember when I asked out that university student when I was in grade 12? The guy I met who, him at that you, New Year's you brought party. Him to the, you brought him to the, to the Christmas party at <laughs> Jimmy D's. <laughs> Christmas party. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that guy like, was cute. He was totally cute. But like, also like, probably shouldn't have said yes to go to this like teenagers Christmas work party like that was weird but he didn't do anything untoward so also like not weird but all I'm saying is like the crippling low self-esteem that was not unharmed by this book somehow that reframed into like a too confident low (laughs) self-esteem like it was both like hyper confidence and also no here's what it was I assume people wouldn't like me back. So I took a lot of chances. Like I remember when I lived in Hong Kong as a like new teacher, like in my early twenties, I'd see someone who I thought was attractive and be like, hey, can I buy you a drink? And my friends would be shocked. Like, I can't believe you would do that. And I would be like, but if you don't try, like, yeah, I put yourself out there. Like no one's going to like you. This sounds great to me. Asterix, not great, and here's why. Because it was also like a false, it was an assumption that no one would like you anyway, so nothing mattered. So, like right. when you went out with the person and then they treated you like garbage, you were like, Yeah, of course, because I am garbage. Oh, <laughs> that that's awful. I don't feel that way now. No, now, but of course it's that <laughs> I get it. I you know, everybody always talks about how puberty is like such a hard time and it's such an awful time, and you never go back there. But for me, I feel like it's those years from like 18 to 24 that are the bad time and the awful time where you're just kind of like figuring out who you are as an adult and like doing shit like that. That's really bold and courageous, but maybe not coming from the right place inside. But I think a lot of it is like a response to what you have seen, what you have heard and what you read. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I am shocked in rereading this book how much I can like recall creating a version of myself to fit this. Right. Like for example, growing up, I always felt like I was 
enormously fat because I had been given that kind of language. Don't Mm -hmm. wear that shirt. Don't let your like suck in your stomach. Like I was Mm -hmm. given that kind of a talk by people who were also given very disordered information about what bodies were like. Obviously I was not fat ever, but I didn't have, like, that's how I, I saw myself because that's how people told me to see myself. Yes. My parents, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Okay. Well, I read this book and I see that like, okay, there is a chubbiness that can be desirable, but here's what it looks like. And it looks like what Ted Cole is asking for. So it's like a sexy chubby. It's like a pre chubby. If I may, I recorded this quote. He liked the girl's lips. Her mouth was round and small and her breasts were full. They were almost fat. In a few years, she would have to struggle with her weight. But now her plumpness was appealing and she still had a waist. Right. (laughs) That's body positivity if I've ever heard it. Hey, man, I took it way in. I was like, Mm. as long as I have big boobs and a waist, like I will. I am sure I took it all in, too. But that's so shocking to me. Like, it's shocking to me that I took this advice about what was palatable in the world from this, like, honestly, someone who's older than me now. And like, how fucking creepy is it for this, like, creepy old dude to say what is attractive and what is not? Yeah, and I guess, like, I don't know if this creepy old dude is John Irving or if it's Ted Cole. I think it's John Irving. Yeah. I don't know. But then there is this little taste in the end of this section one of the book of Ted Cole getting a bit of his just desserts. And that has to do with him sucking on the squid ink ice cubes. I don't think he ever gets just dessert just because he throws up all night from (laughs) accidentally um, drinking whiskey with squid ink ice cubes. Here's what I will say. I recently, I know I've brought this up already, this amazing book by George Saunders, mm-hmm, Us Women mm-hmm. So as I mentioned before, one of the things he says is like, don't bring in a piece of action unless it doesn't matter later. So right. the image earlier in the book where Ted makes the, or like they make That's the right. They talk about the, the squid, squid ink ice cube, cube tray. tray. Yeah. Which wouldn't matter to us unless this moment happened. That's right. So, I appreciate that because of George Saunders' insight. I can recognize yeah. the artistry of making that choice. I like yes, that too. I think about it, it matters later. I do think again, like the action, it moves along. I want to keep going. I'm into yeah. these people. I wouldn't be so judgmental about it. I think if I read it now, I think if I read it now with my adult eyes, I would be critical about like the totally white world, how it's anti-feminist. I would, I would, but I would still enjoy it without taking it on. I think yeah it's different when you're at that I read it mm-hmm. I was like this person is an authority on the adult world and this yes. seems appealing to me the adult world uh yeah. that just the idea of like and if you want to be attractive to a man you better have boobs that are like fat but not too fat maintain <laughs> a waist <laughs> it's okay to be a little bit plump but not all the way plump your but lips also, better yeah <laughs> it was it was to me exciting I mean again I like had such a binary heterosexual understanding of the world at that time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was my world and upbringing at that time for sure that's my critique but 
I will say that it disrupted the idea that you have to get married and be with someone forever. And I think for me, that was very powerful because I was definitely raised to see like um, the dissolution of a relationship to be a fault. And I also think that the way that I was raised also showed me like people should get married. And if you're not getting married, there's something wrong with you. But also like, that is not how I see the world now. It's like, what, like the state has to know who you're fucking? That is insane to me. (laughs) Like, that's insane. But as a young person, I was like, okay, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'll just listen to you because I don't Mm -hmm. know how to question the world. And now I question it too much. (laughs) Can be hard to turn off once you once you uh, open up the floodgates. (laughs) But I'm, I think at the same time, like I'm such a rule follower, and I hate that about myself. Like, do you remember that time when we were at your cousin Emily's house in Lethbridge, (laughs) and you guys decided to steal the political signs off of all of the lawns? Yeah. And I was like, I just want you to know that I will not be fun on this caper. So I'm just going to take a walk by myself and I'll meet you back at that later. Like I couldn't, even though it's such a like dumb prank and like, what's going to happen? What are the consequences? I mm-hmm. still felt uncomfortable with like the teenage caper. I couldn't get in. I had yeah, to. Yeah. Well, I think, I think fear of authority is, is a very normal thing, especially for a teenager like well <laughs> I don't know I guess conversely it's also the one time in life that you might not be afraid of authority or you might be willing to really challenge it I don't know I think it also depends on like who you are like for us as like white teenagers in southern Alberta it was like no big deal to yeah I mean I don't think I started like testing the limits on anything until my parents split up and that's when I was kind of like oh like they're so caught up in like their own drama like what are they going to do to me and so that's when I kind of started like testing the boundaries and that would be when that specific caper occurred when we stole the election signs and we put them all in that park across the street from my cousin's house (laughs) 43 signs I think we stole good job yeah and like that was such a stupid and pointless but it was was fun it was a riot it was just a stupid fun riot that's um okay but here's a sentence that I found that I wanted to read that to me casts judgment upon Ted Cole Okay. And this is from the perspective of the pear-shaped friend, Effie, the third wheel. Effie was the only one with the wisdom to see that Ted Cole was as deceitful as a damaged condom. I also like that uh, because he doesn't use similes much mm-hmm. in his writings. You notice them. Yeah. And I love that damaged condom is what he's comparing Ted to. It's it's sexual it's worthless it's it's kind of grimy the thought of a damaged condom I I loved that comparison and I felt like it was casting judgment upon Ted and then also later in the the section of the book he says um something about Ted's drinking wouldn't be as harmful to him as his womanizing yeah which I also liked I felt like it was acknowledging Ted's not a ladies' man; he's a womanizer. 
<laughs> I mean, he's a predator. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets away with everything. Like he really, what are his consequences? The Mrs. Vaughn situation. Uh, what about, about Marion? Yes, Marion stealing the photos, taking all the photos. I actually felt bad for Ted, even though I know Ted's a piece of crap and I've known men like Ted. I wouldn't go so far as to say I've been a Mrs. Vaughn, but I have definitely known men like Ted. And when Marion gets away with all of the photos and the negatives of the dead sons and Ted has nothing left, I actually did feel badly for Ted. You've never been a Mrs. Vaughn. You've never felt like completely. (laughs) Well, I guess I've never been a Mrs. Vaughn in that no one has ever returned pornographic squid ink drawings. Pornographic photo. It's like the complete uh degradation and shame following uh downings i have had degradation and shame following several downings based on my behavior and others like just where if i saw the person i would just like crumple up and die (laughs) i remember like one of my favorite moments in my own life because it it made me realize you know how like you're kind of raised to think that you're the protagonist in the world of course yes so the my real moment where I first was like ooh, I'm not the protagonist was I had been you know done wrong by this older person as a very young person which I harbored like deep resentment for very many years and then I found myself back living in Calgary where this person had done me wrong and I went to this party and I saw this person at the party and I was horrified. I hadn't seen them in, I don't know, six or seven years. Absolutely horrified. And I was like avoiding them, avoiding them, avoiding them. And then they came out of the bathroom and I was in the line for the bathroom and they started talking to me and I was like, oh, you have no idea who I am. Like, you actually have no idea who I am. You are one of the people that like changed my life forever. And you have no idea who I am. And that was like a great lesson in humility. A great lesson in humility. Because the people that matter in your life, maybe you don't matter so much in their lives. That's that's true. So think about the people that don't matter in your lives. Like maybe actually you're the, you're that like, person for them I don't know yes no I I completely agree with you I mean my first boyfriend my first love my first heartbreak I was not his first love he was actually engaged before we were together and we got together when he was 20 (laughs) cool great cool great um and so when I think of like young love or like the first time I fell in love and and how carefree it was because I didn't know how like the pain of heartbreak yet and I think of like how how I'll never fall in love so so blindly ever again like because because now I've been hurt I think back to that first love and like I'm just some girl that he dated like I'm not his first love I'm not that same thing to him I'm not like 
you know, that he, he, he devastated me, that heartbreak devastated me. And for him, it was probably just a breakup of a slew of breakups. like so so yeah i get it that's interesting like i don't know why that happens i guess people don't like each other the same i think well and that and that also ties into the theme of the book or or a message in the book which is always marry someone who loves you more than you love them and that stuck in my head and like i said in episode one not good advice (laughs) leave it at that (laughs) oh god yeah look i'm glad we're getting out of this past because i'm sick as i mentioned to you in a textual message i'm sick of eddie as the narrator i find him boring as the narrator i think he is a bore he has such a like weird judgment over all the characters but not himself. Like a bit of a superiority complex, I, I find. I think he's better than everyone. He's 16. Yeah, but, cool. but maybe maybe that is, maybe that's great writing. Maybe that is what a 16-year-old thinks. Look, I mean, as I mentioned before, I've never been smarter or more um, horrifying to other people about my way of seeing the world is when I was 22, like just out of undergrad. I was like, actually, I know the whole every experience i can just explain to you what's wrong with the world mm-hmm. i like kind of know it all and that is horrifying i <laughs> i know almost no one from that time in my life and there's a reason for that like yeah. I, I was i like proselytized about my understanding of the world well like i said that's the real time in my life that i would never want to go back to just because i was so unclear of who I was that I was like trying on these different identities and sort of like seeing which one would stick. And it took me a long time to get to this like pretty sure of who I am place now. <laughs> but if you go back to grade six, like didn't you always know who you were? I feel like we haven't changed sleuth at all. Yeah, I was a sleuth. Creeps. Creeps. Like an eye for the perverse. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah questioning of the world snoops yeah inquisitive mm-hmm. i mean inquisitive is the nice word snoops is the correct word <laughs> i know i was just thinking like I, as i've mentioned to you i've been obsessed with my neighbors for the pandemic like i just right. I'm always like oh are they home what are they doing is someone reading is someone working where's the other person in the family oh the kid came home late like i've become it's like <laughs> complete creep but I noticed now that the weather is warming up I haven't been looking like I haven't been watching them and I realize that they're just my mystery camp for right now like I just need to use that part of my brain the part that often schemes in like petty work dramas like none of that exists (laughs) in the pandemic no that's true it's there's a lot of ennui so I just have to like turn on the creep but it's just like looking out the window. And I don't know if you can notice that I'm gesturing towards the window because I can see in there right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm curious about these people as well now. I unfortunately in the bunker that I live at in an alley here in Toronto, I don't really have any neighbors except for this apartment just in front of of us. 
and uh, I can kind of we got new neighbors during the pandemic or it's it's one guy I've actually met him now his name's Matt weird but when he moved in I was like oh he's gonna be interesting because he has so many books he just had like all these books on the floor and I was like I guess a bookcase will be coming well it's been several months the books are still on the floor but that's about all I can see when I try to stare into his apartment but you're not really trying. <laughs> I can't see in that well. They've done a good job. But what if you turn off the lights in your apartment? It's more so the angle of like, I can see in through his double glass doors only if he has the blinds drawn. And then I have to stand on my kitchen counter and look. <laughs> my window has glazing on it for the specific reason. So I can't look into his apartment. But right. if I stand on the counter, I'm above the glazing. And then I can see down into the oh and he has a plant which our other neighbors i don't think they had a plant so (laughs) i feel like the pandemic is making me the meanest me as you've said before the youiest you yes exactly i think so too that's that's the whole idea i mean if there was ever a time to just like really sit back and and just like (laughs) relax into the youiest you there's never been a better time to do that. I know. I, just, I feel too. I a little bit worry about the reintegration of society when this is over. <laughs> I like how am I going to sit in a meeting, yeah. not rolling my eyes? Like I used to be really good at keeping the eye rolling in check, but like when you have the picture up in Zoom and you're not showing your video, you can just like let the expressions fly. That's but I true. Like or if you example. have to fart, you can just mute yourself. I would never. Not in a meeting. Even oh my in God. a Zoom meeting? <laughs> no. Really? Oh, you're no. so professional. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I really love having the certain kale salad for lunch. So in the afternoon, I find I sometimes just hit mute. It's blissful. There's nothing wrong with having gas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean how lucky you you're just in. a freer person than I am <laughs> I do feel like I'm not a free person mm. I feel very clenched a rule follower <laughs> clenched yes I get it <laughs> yeah I wonder what that'll look like I feel like when I get older I will uh, release maybe a little bit more <laughs> less uh, I don't know, in control all the time. I think that's why I hate flying because I just don't trust the workers to like do the job. And I also feel very clenched in flight. Right. Yeah, you are you are a tense flyer. I'm a very tense flyer. Again, I just don't trust the I don't trust the pilots. But like would you rather fly the plane? kind of (laughs) even though I have no training I don't know I always used to remind myself when I was getting on a flight that I had a much higher chance of dying in a car accident but then that didn't help when I would go on road trips because then I would just be fixated on like (laughs) I'm more likely to die on this road trip than in a plane crash (laughs) so that kind of was a double-edged sword indeed yeah, I don't I don't feel that nervous. Driving? No. I don't drive. I really I'm a walker. Well, and 
speaking of driving, we, we finally did get to the description of the accident scene in the book. Good job going back to the book. Keeping us on point. You're a real profesh. Well, no, I was just, this time it resonated with me differently than it did all those years ago. Why? I think because when I was a teenager, I probably didn't have like a sense of the fragility of life or how, and I mean, I'm still not a parent. So I still, I still, I don't know what it feels like to love a child. I can only imagine what it would feel like to be present for the accident that takes the lives of both of your children. Like uh, I found it. It's true. And like this, the description of how the younger child, like he has to watch the younger child die. Like, yeah. Cause he has like the hemorrhage um, and yeah. his leg is severed from his body. It's pretty uh, gruesome. Um, yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. So that I, I remember I remember reading it as a kid, I do, but this time it kind of, it affected me more. My friend Roger said that he went to do a left turn the other day, and because <laughs> of our podcast, he didn't turn the wheel, which he may have before. Yeah. So this, like, that is a great message from this book. Yeah, it is a, it is definitely a great tip. That's and a good I takeaway. I never turn my wheels, if there was any yeah. takeaway ever from this book. perfect takeaway that's a great takeaway we can all mm -hmm. we can all be better from that takeaway yeah i agree the other ones maybe not so much but <laughs> that one yes yeah 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 no that part was really horrifying i also was really struck by the way that uh eddie i think the way that eddie describes himself as becoming a writer like through mm. this this last day how he had to write down his description mm -hmm. of that was cool uh and then how that like made him find his voice and then also how he couldn't really picture the end of the story of the accident because he couldn't picture the shoe that right he was wearing and, and then ted and tells him what ted the shoe him was the he didn't want to wear it. yeah yeah that, that was, was really, really powerful it was i also liked the like um the, the clam truck driver was back on the ferry. That's the George Saunders thing again, right? There it is again. Oh, introduce someone yep. if you're, they're not coming back. And same with even the gardener, who yes. I had forgotten that whole perspective of the gardener at Mrs. Vaughn's house helping Ted escape. And then you get that whole part about him almost passing out from the fumes of the car that's just idling. And I'm like, why are we getting this gardener's perspective? And I had forgotten but later he shows up at Ted's house and says, hey, you're the reason Mrs. Vaughn fired me. Yes. Can you give me a job? And then he and his wife end up taking care of, of Ted and Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot that too. Mm -hmm. So that was really good. Like there's a lot of cool, um, he sets a really good stage and then it all kind of. Yeah, and I don't think that he's careless with the people he brings yeah. in. Everyone seems to have a purpose. Yeah. yeah, so I'm excited to see. Now we are finished 1958, the summer of 1958. So I'm excited to see part two, 1990. Um, yeah. We know that uh, Ruth and Eddie are both writers. Yeah. And we'll see what happens in 1990. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. Agreed.
Okay. Well, until next time. Until next time. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.